0: And I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that in this episode Mary Lemmer comes back to ask me everything she wants to know about how I relate to myself enjoy Mary welcome back to the relating to self podcast
1: thanks for having me back
0: yes it's wonderful to see you again Um, So, for context and history, we recorded a podcast together where I asked you about your relationship with yourself. And that podcast was published as the first episode of our second season in August 2022. And people who are interested can find it uh, on the podcast, obviously. And then you expressed the desire to come back to ask me some questions because these conversations usually are kind of one-sided. I ask questions and people answer. And you were very curious um, to hear about my side of the equation. And that's why we're here, welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I appreciate you uh, hearing that and following up on it to bring me back. Um, I guess I'll start by asking you as now the creator of this podcast, right? What does relating to self mean to you?
0: (laughs) Yes, I see you've listened to my podcast well.
1: (laughs) That's usually (laughs) my
0: first question to everyone. (laughs) That's that's such a good question, right? And I think the answer is very layered and kind of depends on the context in which you see it. Um, For me, relating to self, is a set a set of practices that i have that allow me to go deeper in the way i excavate whatever sits in my subconscious in terms of patterns habits trauma um, things i need to heal getting to know myself better getting to know my weaknesses getting to know my strengths um, getting to know my values, getting to know how I operate in the world and getting to know my desires as to what I want to become or who I want to become and then what I can do to support that quest, let's say.
1: Mm, yeah, beautiful. You know, from our conversations, right, and that I'm involved in improv, right, and in an improv we have this saying, say yes and, mm. which is all about acknowledging the reality of what is, and then building on it or doing something about it. And so what I heard you just say is relating to self is a lot of like self awareness, right. And and knowing things about ourselves. And and so that we'd say is the yes, right. This is this acknowledgement of like, this is something about me or this is something that is true to me or I value or whatever. I want to, I want to know about your and. So once you know these things about yourself, then what, Wow,
0: that's such a beautiful way to frame that question. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I guess what comes up for me is that there are two aspects to the end. One aspect is um, walking the path towards what I want to become internally, right? So it's taking stock, like what is real for me right now? How do I feel? Um, How do I think? You know, all these things. And then I have some kind of a mental model of perhaps something like, oh, I would like to suffer less from a feeling of not being enough. That could Mm. be a sense that I have like, oh, okay, you know, I have this feeling sometimes that I'm not enough. And I wonder where that comes from and how I can improve that. So that's the and. The and is what can I do to move towards a place where I feel more enough than I already do. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of the end is to then go into the world and practice what I have discovered in myself or the ways in which I have learned to be more comfortable with what's true about myself, including the, well, especially I would say the the more ugly parts of myself, right? Mm -hmm. And then going into the world being surrounded by people who maybe are on that same path or maybe they haven't done much of that work and I feel what's, what's difficult for me sometimes in, the, in this end is that I am quite empathetic and that when when I am around people who maybe are not as compassionate with themselves as I would like to be then mm-hmm. there's a danger for me to revert into patterns I used to have and so that's the second and that is holding that space for myself, practicing. It's almost like a gym routine, right? It's like practicing my relationship with myself while out in the world, while under stress or while in context or circumstances that are difficult.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for that. Um, that is, I think that's why change can be so hard, right? And we want to when we want to work on these things, because... Of the the outside world, right in our environment and the people in our lives, um, because we can we can sit in our room and be like, all right, I believe in myself more, right? But then when we go out and our re- those old patterns or old beliefs are reinforced, it can be much it's much harder to uh, adopt those new beliefs or behaviors. So I'm curious if you found in that pursuit, if you found things that are helpful in that practice, whether it be something like changing environments or telling people that you're working on something um, in yourself or any other sort of, I guess, um, little little hacks or things that you've mm. noticed can really help you in that process of that second and.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, I speak about this all the time, <laughs> whether people want it or not. It comes up in conversation all the time because I guess having really gone deep into this relationship with myself, it has become some kind of a lens through which I see the world. So very often when I am in situations that perhaps are more difficult with other people, I revert to using that lens and looking at things from like, wait, what is difficult here from a perspective of a relationship with myself? And that automatically has the benefit that it makes me 100% responsible for my own experience again. Because I think Mm. that's one of the bigger problems out there is that people have weak boundaries or not very healthy boundaries. And so they project responsibility for their well-being onto others. And I think that's Mm. always problematic. So Mm. asking the question, what does the situation look like from the lens of relating to myself, automatically brings it back to it's my responsibility to make sure that I am in a good place that I feel well, that my well-being is not compromised. Um, so talking about it with people definitely is is one of the things that that helps the most. Um, the other aspect of that, I would say, is that it's basically just the the result of cultivating more more self-awareness through meditation. That allows me to have more space. Let's see, let's say between what's real, what happens. And my reactions to it.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like
0: there's there's more and more of a buffer between that. So before I automatically react to something, I can take a bit of time and then think or let it sink in or tune into my body and go deep and feel, feel like, but wait, what is it that is real for me in this situation? And then come mm-hmm. from that place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so... Um... <clears throat> Wise and profound, and I really like what you said about um, though we are responsible for our own well-being, and and those boundaries uh, sometimes get a little cloudy. Um, and I think it's this is so poignant in society today with what's everything that's been happening on a global scale and in different communities where. It, the word trigger gets um, passed around, and that's what came up as you were were talking about. This kind of, you know, my well being is my responsibility, and we can't always expect others to know what it is that is going to trigger us or um, help with our well being. And um, and so, bringing it back to self, it it seems like a way that we can take that control and focus on what we can control, which is ourself and how we behave and how we react and respond, and we can't control um, other other people. And so I'm curious um, to kind of dive into that a little bit more in terms of this aspect of control of like what we can control and can't control, especially as it relates to relating to self and working on these things as a result of what we know Um, So it's not so much a question as to I just want to hear your your perspective on that of Mm -hmm. like of really control and and how that um, comes into play when relating to self and and making these improvements in life.
0: Yeah, that's that's a that's a wonderful and again, very layered and dense question, I think. Um, I want to preempt my answer with the simple statement that I speak from a position of tremendous privilege. Um, you know, I'm a white, heterosexual, uh, cisgender male in, in this society, which gives me a lot of unearned advantages that other people maybe don't have. So things for me are sometimes a lot simpler than they are for other people, and I want to acknowledge that. Um, but I think what you say is important about this idea of being triggered, I think we should also be aware that I, I would never say that we shouldn't honor being triggered. I think Mm -hmm. being triggered is a very difficult state to navigate and I am sometimes triggered as well and I believe that when someone is triggered whatever follows is usually not very helpful for anyone. Mm -hmm. So I think regardless of the fact that you know you cannot know what will trigger someone and so it's our responsibility to make sure that you know if we are triggered that we express that but once someone is triggered I believe a conversation should probably end there for now because that person then needs space and time to either seek solace in themselves, connect with themselves and find stability again or seek help, um, be mm-hmm. present to their community or or even with a therapist or whatever it is that will help them bring back to safety so that they can mm-hmm. then navigate the world from a position of safety again. Mm-hmm. And the the problem of course i think the biggest problem with this is that i again am in a position where i can step away from pretty much almost anything so if i am in a relationship with a specific person or situation in my life that repeatedly triggers me which is a state i do not want Mm. i can probably step away from that person or that situation rather Mm. easily because of the privilege and the power that i hold And I'm aware that that may not always be the case. I think, for example, of students who are in a university trying to finish a degree with a Mm -hmm. professor that continuously triggers them in some way. Mm. That may be a very tricky situation to navigate because in that case, from my perspective, if it happens too often, I would say is step away. But that also means giving up on the degree or finding another university or something like that, which may be difficult or hard or impossible depending on the situation. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where I stand on this question. I think it's too complicated and I just haven't given it enough thought. Um, I usually refrain from making societal comments or like general statements. I -hmm. usually prefer just to speak about myself. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to myself, I think when I am triggered, what I have learned that is tremendously helpful, is to notice that I am triggered and then to communicate that I am triggered Mm and then to remove myself from whatever it is that triggers me in that moment, so I can Mm self-regulate and to then come back from a position where I feel empowered again and then talk about like, hey, you know, we need to talk about how this situation triggered me and why it triggered me and I want you to understand this. And if you care about me, then maybe you can help me navigate these issues in a way that doesn't trigger me. How do you think about that? How do you see that? And
1: mm.
0: for me, it is my desire to only relate to people who have the capacity and the desire to help me navigate what's difficult for me. And if you mm. continuously refuse to to help me with what's difficult, then maybe there's no place for you in my life.
1: I want to like, basically write out what you just said and like have it on a plaque that I can look at every day <laughs> I think that that is such and, and I want to also point out I really um, appreciate how you shared um, you know there's we the generalizations like it's it to not make generalizations because everyone's position and where they're coming from in this is unique and i bringing it back to your, your own experience and your own way of handling these situations. That's the piece for where I'm like, I know for at least myself, I'm like, I could use that reminder, right? It's like if someone really cares about us and we tell them that something matters to us and, or it's bothering us in some way, if they truly care about us and they have the capacity to, then they'll work with us on it. And, um, and if not, then that's a gift of information to us to know about where that person is at and where they might play a role in our lives. Um, so I just find that like, so I just, I'm picturing on like a little, uh, social media meme, right. One of those lovely reminders of, of what we can do in these situations. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I want to ask a really, now I know that was a layered and deep question and now I have one that may come across as less layered and deep, but probably <laughs> could be that way. Um, uh, depending on where you take it, uh, do you think you could ever know too much about yourself?
0: Oh wow! I'm trying to like understand what that would look like. What would happen? What would be the the negative effect of knowing too much? Do you have an idea of what? That I guess is? I
1: picture it as a. Um, you know, I I have a lot of like comedic. Uh, I come from a lot of comedy, you know, comedy writing and thinking of story, and I imagine a almost like a comedic movie where the character knows so much about themselves that they almost have this, like their subconscious is like right there with them next to their conscious being like, Oh, this is how you react. This is how you will probably react to this because of X, Y, Z that happened in your past. And just like just so much self-knowledge that it's to the point of like everything in your day has a reason and a story and you know why it's there it, to the point of maybe, I guess for me, it's like it seems almost exhausting. Like, there could be, like, so much that it's hard to even just, um, to, like, is there ever a point to, like, tuning some of that out? And how much is too much? And when do we just, um, like, refrain from giving everything so much meaning, if that makes sense? I don't know. I'm trying to articulate this in the way that I picture yeah, it in my head.
0: I... I think I see what you mean. I think maybe the question is not so much to know too much about yourself, but to be aware of what's happening in yourself too much at the same time, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, I think, I don't think it's possible to know too much. I think it's good to know what's happening. The question of the awareness, of the, the levels of awareness, right? And this going meta of like, yes, I am responding like this because... I have this pattern and I have this pattern because this and I know this is going to happen, so I'm blah, blah, blah. I can see that. And I guess what what resonates with me is what you said, that sometimes this is exhausting. And I agree. Sometimes when I am um, in a relationship with someone, I don't have it anymore with myself, which is interesting, but in a relationship with someone, and then something happens, you know, uh, there's a disconnection or a misunderstanding, and then you have to kind of like dig deeper to find what happened or why it happened and how you can prevent it in the future and so on. That sometimes I also perceive as like, wow, that's just a lot of work. And um, I don't always have the energy to do that work, which I think is fine. I think it's okay to uh, titrate that kind of work in into your life and to make sure that you're always resourced enough to be able to handle it but with the self no i don't i I think maybe at the furthest end of the spectrum what would happen is that you wouldn't act in the world anymore something Mm -hmm. like just the state of complete acceptance complete surrender everything is as it is and what i do has no significance it doesn't matter so i can just as well do nothing And I also don't see that as a negative in itself. I think that's a perfectly okay position. It doesn't harm anyone. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that very much aligns with how improvisers are in improv scenes, right? Just you act, react, just kind of be in that moment without attachment to any particular outcome. You see where it goes. There's no wrong or right. It just kind of is. Um, And... Yeah, I there's something very peaceful about that. Um and and very challenging to to truly embody that in the in um in the world. Um
0: But I guess that's where compassion comes in, right? At least for me, I know that I'm not perfect. I am human. I fail pretty much all the time and getting comfortable with failure getting comfortable with the idea that i will do things that are not aligned with my values or what i want in life and truly being compassionate with that towards myself and and just go like oh yes i can see it happened again it's okay and so in that sense i don't think there's a there's a danger of ever knowing too much or being too aware because looking at the data that i have about myself i continuously fail anyway so it's okay and that game of just trying and failing and getting up again and keep going basically and I think I don't know anything about improv I won't pretend but I guess the keep going part is also crucial to an improv scene because you can't stop right You, you you have to keep working with what is
1: yes yeah entirely and there's this kind of fail fast take failures and mistakes as gifts like they're all telling us something about what's happening and we can use that to learn more about ourselves or learn more about a situation like there's no there's no mistakes and that's so liberating right and, and in life when we realize there's just lesson after lesson and a failure or like falling down is just us learning and like moving through something if we if we choose to figure out like oh why why did that happen what have I learned about myself like everything can be a gift Um, and I want to touch on something that we had alluded to before we we jumped on the the podcast because um, sometimes we can know things about ourselves that may be seemingly contradictory right like I know that I love nature and being in quiet and like by a beach and I also know that I love being in cities where there's people of that I can meet and connect with and and so these two things seem so contradictory how how does one make a choice about where to put themselves in a situation like this so I'm curious if you have examples from your own life of times where you learn things about yourself that are seemingly contradictory and like how you've navigated that
0: yeah great question Uh, first of all yes this happens all the time (laughs) Um, I think one of the Largest changes that I've made to how I operate in the world with the, the most um, beautiful results is to get comfortable with contradictory thoughts or cognitive dissonance or seemingly opposite desires. I can desire one thing and another thing at the same time while perfectly understanding that rationally these things exclude each other. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I used to be really stressed about that. That used to create so much tension in me because I thought this is not good. I need to be coherent. I need to be consistent. There needs to be one clear line of thought that kind of brings me from one point to the next. And so just forgetting about that and getting comfortable with all kinds of contradictions and dissonance in myself, that just gives me so much space. So yes, I have feelings and desires like that too. And I think they are quite universal, as you named, like the, one of the big ones is I believe for me, the most nourishing environment is something like a forest, maybe near a river or the sea, right? And yet I have never really lived in an environment like that. Why is that? Because, well, that's not what the world is optimized for. It's really difficult to find such places. If we find them, then they're usually out of reach financially. And even if you could afford them, there's tons of other things that we value or desire that aren't available in spaces like that. Like, for example, a rich social life or going to see amazing culture or eating great food or being exposed to a certain type of art. And all these things are important as well. So I've come to terms with the fact that I cannot create one situation for myself in which all my desires are met. And that's a very simple kind of understanding, like, ah, I see what's happening. I will always have desires that are not met. Mm -hmm. But what I can do is to be as true as possible to myself in each moment as to the relative importance of those values. Mm. And so sometimes I will feel, yes, right now, it's more important to me to be around amazing people. This is why at the moment as we speak, I am in London not a city that is known for its calming effects on my nervous (laughs) system and i am sitting with the discomfort of my nervous system in london because i think it's worth it because the quality of the conversations and the people that i meet here are substantially important to me and Mm -hmm. i know that this will change at in the very near future, probably in a couple of weeks, something will shift inside of me and I will feel like, yes, but my nervous system really needs some space and time alone right now and some quiet Mm -hmm. and some peace. And then when that happens, I know that I have the capacity to take care of myself. I know that I will make this happen for myself. And so my only task is to remain in touch with my body and my desires and then decide which ones feel the most pressing right now mm-hmm. and then of course it's not always possible to give myself what i need in each moment but at least that's something i can optimize for
1: yeah wow um i think this is another uh segment that i want on a plaque <laughs> just you know rem- remind right of the uh, to, to sit to, to be aware of those contradictions and or be aware of the multiple truths right you can of these things and then also being able to decide what's important at this moment and knowing that it can change and being open to that to change i i i wonder about this concept of the cottage mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if it's as popular and in, in other parts of the world but this idea that people would have like a cottage that they would go to um you know to relax and rejuvenate and i i think it's so it, it makes sense right people um We know from nervous system science, too, that the nervous system can regulate in in different ways and get into some, like, a chaos mode, so it it makes a ton of sense, and I'm especially curious, because all of you said, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, like, nodding my head. This makes so much sense, and then there's this, I'll call it the, like, The additional person or people in our lives where now we've got two individuals or multiple individuals like in a family that all have different needs at different times and maybe someone really needs to get away and go to the country for a while and someone else is like no I need the city I need the social life, but then these two people are in relationship or in family how we navigate that knowing ourselves and relating to self while also relating to someone else and trying to make that work so i'm curious if you have any thoughts about that you'd like to expand on
0: yeah sure um i'm probably not the best person to ask in the sense that i think if i look at my my attempts at creating meaningful partner relationships yeah, I I, ha- I don't have the the most excellent history with that, um, and of course for for me it's very clear that this comes mostly from the long road I have been traveling of healing myself from my core traumas, and I think that's that's why it has happened. But from where I am now, I would say that I don't see that as a problem, because I operate from the assumption or the model that. Each person is their own. And each person has a responsibility to take care of their needs and to make sure that they are in, in their place of well being. In a relationship, I think I see many people making what I perceive to be large compromises to their well being for the sake of what they think is the relationship or the mm. partnership. Right? They make this concept outside of themselves that they then give a certain agency to and they submit themselves to the agency of the relationship or the partnership. Mm-hmm. And for me, this, this is something that points toward a certain kind of codependency. Mm. I would think that, or I would hope to have a relationship in which when my partner feels, wow, I really need to be among trees right now and I feel wow, you know, I really want to have wild dances in clubs this week, Mm -hmm. then I don't see why we just don't do that Mm -hmm. each on our own. There is no rule that people in a partnership have to uh, do everything together. And I see some people doing that and I always wonder about, like, maybe that's okay. Maybe some people have just aligned desires or they don't mind giving up their needs for, for their partners. But for me, ultimately, now, I just don't understand anymore why we just couldn't do the things that are important for ourselves. And then, of course, what you're looking for is a partner with whom, at least some of the times, you're aligned in what, in what you <laughs> desire to do. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't choose to be with that person. Um, so I think a healthy balance between doing things together, uh, co-creating certain modalities of being together, but then also having ample time alone to do what is needed, to do what we crave, I think that's a healthy way of approaching that.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of wisdom in that um, and find myself agreeing with a lot of what you said around the importance of having your own thing too. It's okay to do things alone, even if you're in a relationship, whether whether it be a romantic relationship, a friendship or a family relationship, right, to you know, go on a family trip somewhere and one person wants to go kayaking and the other wants to go to an art museum, like, great, go kayaking, go to the art museum, let's have dinner together and talk about our experiences, right? I also Um, have
0: to say, obviously, again, I speak from the position in which I don't have children. I imagine once you have a family and there are children involved, everything changes. Because at at that time, there's a completely different kind of set of rules of, of how you need to navigate those situations. So I cannot say anything about that.
1: Yeah, of course, and uh, it's always from our, you you know, our own experiences, too, like, we, and I think that's also how we learn, too, is to learn about how does someone else approach this, that's why I'm, like, I think that's what really inspired my initial desire to talk to you and ask you some questions, because as you were asking me questions, I'm, like, I'm really curious how he views this, you know, and what, you know, because I think that's also, I find that helps me either shape and strengthen my own views on something or opens my mind to, oh, like some, maybe I could think about this in a new way or something that I hadn't learned before. And I think especially as it involves relationships with ourselves and with other people, there are so much that, that we, so many rules that we don't need to have, or that, that can be changed. And if we know that it's possible, like if we know something's possible or that it works for someone else, like, oh yeah, maybe that could work for me. I started to call them like relationship role models in my life, right? Where there are friends that are coupled or not coupled that I learn about myself through my relationships with them. And so uh, I'm curious for you, if there are, if you have these relationship role models in your life, are there people in your life that you find that you're learning more about yourself in relationship with them. And you, of course, you don't have to name anyone specifically, if, whatever you want to share. I'm just curious how you, um, how you look to others to learn more about yourself in relationship.
0: Yeah, that's such a beautiful question, thank you. Um, most definitely, right? I think some of my most interesting insights, are the result of deep conversations with people I trust, people I love, or maybe even people that I don't agree with. I think the the mind on itself, just me sitting with myself, has a very different kind of feel and a different operating principle than the mind when in connection or communication with another mind and i have learned to appreciate this was not something that came to me naturally i have learned to appreciate what i would call outward thinking i'm an introvert so i'm used to going inside to think right i i go to my room i sit in silence i think about things and i noticed throughout my life that other people don't really think that way other people surround themselves with other humans that they trust or that they in some way find inspiring. And then they have a conversation and through the conversation, they will understand their own position. Mm -hmm. And I always found that very strange, but now I'm starting to see the value of that. I'm starting to see how in communication with others, we can come to concepts or ideas or places in the mind that we would never have reached on our own and a big let's say collection of those kind of thoughts for me and that's crucial now in in what i'm trying to achieve i guess is to understand the impact of my ideas and the ways in which my ideas are different from other people's ideas because for me i've been sitting in silence a lot i've been thinking on my own a lot. I've been writing with myself a lot and so on. And so a lot of this stuff kind of becomes self-evident, but then talking to others is when I discover what kind of thoughts carry meaning for others or can change things for others or can have impact in the life of others or, you know, are important to others. And I think that's like, that's a huge category of things that I can't really understand at all without speaking to other people
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah that is people can almost act as a mirror for us right we get to see things about yeah, ourselves
0: a mirror or even like an amplifier or then a modifier like you know people yeah. will say things and that will change something in me and you know, like oh yes i hadn't considered this perspective and that's super interesting. So I, I really enjoy those kind of conversations now. And I think that the biggest difference between the me now and the me in the past is that the me in the past didn't have access to the kind of people who were able mm-hmm. to hold conversations like that. But the me now is incredibly grateful to be surrounded by an amazing group of people with whom I can have exactly the kind of conversations that I need to go to the edge of mm-hmm. my thinking or my understanding
1: Mm, and what what shifts of that was it when you started changing or learning more about yourself your community of people changed like I'm curious how because I see this with a lot of people right our our friend groups our communities change as we change um and so was that intentional for you or did you start to notice that these people kind of came into your life at the time that you needed them most Yeah,
0: (laughs) I think the process was definitely not very intentional for me Mm. because I had no examples. I didn't know that a better world was possible, let's say, in my social circles. I just Mm. made do with what was available. Mm. And then I guess as I started traveling more, I think that was one of the key things for me, getting out of Belgium, getting out of the bubble in which I grew up and in which I studied, you know, the, this little bubble of those people that surrounded me then. As I started traveling, I started meeting different kinds of people, people who are quite substantially different from the kind of people that I grew mm-hmm. up around. And at first, obviously, I was I was scared. Like, I didn't feel safe around those people. And it took me a while to find safety within myself to then be able to communicate with those kind of people more. And as I did that, I then discovered that those people weren't scary at all. They were actually very kind, well, the the ones I met, and very inviting. And through the connections that I then created, I got to know more and more of them. Because The great thing about people is that if you get to know a new interesting person, it's fairly certain that they have a group of friends who is... uh, also interesting so if you can get to know that group then that's such a a great gateway into getting to know more people and i have gone through several iterations of that now in my life and every time there's a new layer there's a new discovery process of like oh yes wow there are people that i didn't have access to before that i know get to know as as friends as as peers and that I can have these conversations with that I crave. Mm-hmm. And, well, obviously, uh, I've named it before in this podcast, and I will name it again. Sandbox has played quite an instrumental role in, in that process. Uh, but it hasn't stopped there, so that's that's exciting to see. And I think that would be one of the main pieces of advice that I would give to anyone who is looking to you know, perhaps change or, or create a bigger picture of what they could be, is just change your circles, like mm. be around other people, radically different people with other ideas, other lifestyles, and yeah, that just gives you so much more richness in in what's possible for you.
1: Mm. Well, you uh, you took the question right from you from me. I was going to ask about advice. Um, I have a couple more uh, questions before we wrap up, and. Um, one is around um, loneliness so mm-hmm. uh, I was reading some research around I think it's like I mean more than half of people report feeling lonely and the pandemic has exacerbated a lot of people's feelings of loneliness and I'm really curious as we're talking to, about relating to self uh, if if this if we truly have a like strong connected with relationship with ourself can, can we feel lo- like can we ever feel lonely because we always have ourself and and so and I, and I share this as someone who does experience loneliness and do consider myself to have a pretty decent relationship with myself and done a lot of work on it but I still experience loneliness and so I'm really curious from your perspective how you've experienced loneliness and how you think your relationship to yourself affects or doesn't affect any of your experiences with loneliness.
0: Hmm. Another very deep and layered question, Mary. (laughs) Thank you. I know. (laughs) Ooh, this this is a tough one. I think for me, loneliness in the past had two shapes. One is the belief that there is nobody out there like me. Mm. So it's not even as in, you know, I'm lonely because I'm sitting alone and there's nobody around me. I can't go out. No, I could, in the past, I have been very lonely while surrounded by people Mm. just from this idea or story that there's nobody like me out there. Um, The other aspect of loneliness from my past was the more practical kind of loneliness where you spend a lot of time alone and there is nobody seemingly who cares about you and then the shape of that loneliness I would describe almost as a kind of a boredom Mm. it's like there's something missing there's a void inside of me and I want to fill it with others or I want to fill it with the energy of others or the decisions of others or whatever it is from others And I think that's what I would name as loneliness in those moments. And I'm not sure. I'm trying to like parse this word loneliness. What does it actually mean? Mm -hmm. But I think the first, which I would call like the existential kind of loneliness, was definitely the the worst part for me. That was the thing I suffered from a lot. As to your question directly, um, when you have a better relationship with yourself, do you still feel lonely I sometimes still experience feelings that I would describe as loneliness, yes. And I think that happens in moments when I haven't been mindful of my needs. Mm. On the other hand, I think loneliness is mostly about belonging, not so much about presence. And as I cultivate belonging to myself more and more, and i say this in almost like a literal sense right i say this in terms of i belong to all my other personas i belong to all parts of myself i belong to my shadows i belong to my wounded children i belong to all these previous versions of myself i almost see myself in when i describe that as kind of like a tribe it's like it's like a village of selves and they're all me in different aspects And I guess this is quite related to the um, internal family systems kind of paradigm where you have, you know, the, the, the parts of the self. But so in that sense, since we are a group, a group of selves, I feel like each and every part belongs to that tribe, belongs to that group. And in that sense, I haven't had this existential loneliness for years now. I don't even remember when I last felt lonely in that sense. So I think the only loneliness I still feel is the loneliness that is more like a sort of boredom that arises from the fact that I have not given myself what I need in terms of social relationships.
1: Mm. I really like how you organized your thoughts around that um, and these two different um, shapes of loneliness. Um, I think it's really poetic to think like the shapes of loneliness. It um, It is... Yeah, very well illustrated. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I I know it resonated with me. It got me thinking about some things and hopefully the people listening too will uh, get a lot out of that. Well, I know I've asked a lot of deep, (laughs) loaded questions, but I wanted to end with what I'd like to call some like rapid fire questions. Just um, (laughs) some fun questions about you. And and, uh, yeah, you got up to give this a go?
0: Oh, yes, let's do it. Okay.
1: okay, cool. What's something that makes you laugh?
0: Oh, my God, this is so hard. Um, <laughs> I don't think I laugh very often. I would, I would love to laugh more. I think what makes me laugh is a certain kind of absurdity in humor. Mm. So, like, specific shows or people or books, and sometimes one idea stands out, and then I laugh
1: great great um what is if you were to cook a meal for yourself what's your what's your like go-to meal you love to nourish yourself with
0: pasta 100 percent. probably uh pasta a la norma which is with eggplant and tomato sauce and basil and some cheese
1: amazing um if you were to take yourself on a date where would you want to take yourself
0: To a restaurant, of course. (laughs) Preferably (laughs) a nice restaurant with like a beautiful, well-designed interior and food that is prepared with care and love.
1: What's your favorite activity to do by yourself? Or one of the favorite activities you like to do?
0: Mm, Reading. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
0: reading and reading fiction, specifically.
1: Okay. Uh, If you were to go on a solo trip, all expenses paid... Mm -hmm where would you like to go? Japan. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary. This was fun.
1: Yes, definitely. <sighs> Thanks for uh, sharing so many of your wise thoughts and perspectives. And I definitely learned a lot in listening to you. I feel really grateful that you were open to turning the tables a little bit here. And I hope that the listeners also, um, learned a few things and enjoyed the conversation
0: i'm sure they will Mary, thank you so much i feel so much gratitude for you for showing up in this way for having expressed this desire for then actually acting upon it i think this is wonderful um yeah thank you so much um in the show notes we will also refer people to the episode where i ask you questions so they can go and listen to that as well and then okay. also that episode has all the information about where people can find you Fun, read more about your work and so on um, so yeah I will do that
1: thank you
0: thank you Mary if you've enjoyed this conversation please subscribe to the podcast you can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter I will post a link in the description and if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.